Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We got a terrific Monday morning show for you, including at the bottom of this hour that bombshell interview last night. You saw it on Global TV, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, that exclusive interview with the one and only Oprah. Wow, you talk about a monster ratings hit. The whole world's talking about that. So we'll have highlights and analysis of the interview for you at the bottom of this hour. And your call's on the open line. So did you watch it last night? What did you think? Get set to call me. Uh, that's up at the bottom of this hour. Later on the show, Aaron Gunn, the conservative commentator on Facebook. He's racked up like 50 million views of his videos on Facebook. Now thinking of running for the B.C. Liberal Party leadership, but will the Liberals let him run? Lots of people think the Liberals will block him from running. The guy's too controversial. He's coming up a little later on the show. But first, we start with day one of the vaccine booking system here in British Columbia. What a big day it is. Starting 7 a.m. this morning, people aged 90 and over, indigenous elders 65 and older, able to call and make an appointment to get their COVID vaccine next week. And what a great guest I have for you to talk about it, Dr. Penny Ballum, who is the executive lead for BC's immunization plan. And I'm very pleased to welcome her to the show. Dr. Ballum, thanks a lot for coming on. You're very welcome, Mike. So nice to so nice to hear your voice. Well, I'll tell you what. It's nice to hear your voice, especially on a busy day like this. I really, I'm, I'm grateful to you. How is it going so far? Because the phone lines opened at seven o'clock this morning, right? Yes, they did. And so this, what I would say, we've had an extraordinarily enthusiastic response on behalf of our over ninety population. Uh, we have fifty thousand people, approximately over ninety across the province, and well, we've had one point four million calls. Wow. Whoa. So that is, um, you know, that we, we, we knew from, uh, we've, we've talked to so many other jurisdictions over the last weeks about their experience around this. It, it, it's a measure of, you know, just the pent up energy and enthusiasm for everyone to get their seniors vaccinated. It, it is a bit of a problem for us because, uh, you know, uh, there's no call center that can manage that kind of pressure in just over an hour. So we're, we're going to sort through that. Everyone's going to get a vaccine. I, I, I want, you know, both you and our public to know that, you know, just be patient. This will get sorted out. We need to streamline out these calls over the next week. That's why we've divided them up into, you know, our three different segments over the week of March 8th, 15th and 22nd. So this week is for 90 years plus and our Indigenous people over 65. Right. This is um, just one person per per senior. Don't don't have the whole family call or the whole neighborhood for you know our one senior on the block who's over ninety because it it will it's just more than our both our booking systems and our call centers can manage. So really appreciate the help on that. But overall, we're very very excited. We're ready. We have clinics set up around the province in you know communities, small, large, and in the middle. And uh, it's going to be great to see, you know, our seniors who are most at risk from this virus actually get vaccinated. 
Okay, that's an extraordinary call volume you just described there with 1.4 million calls. And as you mentioned, yeah. it's only people over 90 uh, eligible today. And you mentioned there's only 50,000 people over 90, and, you, and yet you get over a million calls. So th- does right. that mean that, that some people are calling in when they're not supposed to be calling in, or they're calling in for people who are not in that age, age bracket? Undoubtedly, it means yeah. that, that, you know, we, we're, we're just people, you know, we, we've got the message out, but, you know, I think this is the experience in the first day. Everybody just calls because they think, oh, well, maybe I'll get through. So, you know, if we send any message, the first one is everyone's going to get vaccinated. And the second thing is one call per, per senior over 90. Um, yeah. That will help us get them booked and then we'll get them in next week and get them vaccinated. Okay, how many bookings have you actually made so far this morning? I think there's over 2,000 that have been made. So, okay. you know, that's a good thing. So it's, it's, it's not nothing, but we, we need to, you know, we want to get to everyone over the course of the week. So they've got a scheduled appointment. So if we could have people just back off a bit and be patient going back later on in the day, you know, toward the evening hours or tomorrow, they will all get booked in. We have we have all the scheduled, you know, openings that are there for them. So there's not a question of a shortage of spots that come in and get vaccinated. We have more than adequate capacity to get everyone vaccinated. So just take your time. There'll be lots of time to get a booking. And we look forward to jabbing the arm next week. Okay, when you mentioned over a million calls so far, is that what kind of strain is that putting on the system? Like, is the system crashing at all? Are people getting busy signals, dropped calls? I mean, what kind of reports are you hearing? Yeah, I think they'll they'll be getting the system has not crashed, but they okay. will definitely get um, some busy signals, and their call you know may get dropped, and they're getting messages to say you know call back later. So you know it's a variety of different things, but our our systems are still working. We're we're continuing to you know, book people. But when, as you know, when it congests up like that, things slow down. Right. And there's a different number to call depending on which health region you're in, correct? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. There are there are five different numbers. Okay. And so those, for... that information, Mike, as you yeah. know, is on the Health Authority websites. It's on the government uh, BC Seniors First website. So it's very accessible. Um, we just want to make sure that you know, only people, the one person phoning for someone over 90 or, or that individual, uh, we just can't have everybody making multiple calls for one person. Okay, it's very easy to find online the information if you do a Google search. Go to, certainly go to cknw.com as well, where the, the phone line numbers have been posted, uh, depending on the health authority that you're in. My guest is Dr. Penny Ballum, Executive Lead of BC's Immunization Effort. So once again, just to stress, for peop- the people who are eligible today are seniors age 90 and over, and uh, Indigenous elders age 65 and over, right? Why, why, why is there a separate uh, category for Indigenous people? Could you just explain that for people? For sure. Um, our Indigenous population has, uh, you know, a much higher vulnerability to this COVID-19 virus. Um, the data across our country, and we have very good local data in British Columbia, shows a much higher hospitalization rate. Yeah. They've had a significant number of deaths in, in younger people compared to the, their, you know, equivalent age group in the general population. So, Part of our, you know, when, when we began, we wanted to protect our, our First Nations and Indigenous people um, and, you know, make sure that they got protection as quickly as possible because they, they do have a higher vulnerability. Right. And for people who are calling through and w- when they get their appointment to get to get the vaccine, will they definitely get that first shot next week? Is that the plan? 
that's the plan. We we yeah. have the capacity to you know get them in and get them done next week. And but you know if they if they don't if it's not convenient or they can't get help from a family member till the next week, it doesn't matter. We we've got more than adequate. We've got you know from March fifteenth to April eleventh, where we want to try and you know get them vaccinated. We set up clinics that are you know very much responsive to the needs of of seniors. So there's lots of time to get vaccinated. You know, okay. people should not worry at all. And which vaccine will seniors receive in this in this age cohort? They will see, receive either Moderna or yeah. Pfizer. That, those are the two vaccines that we'll be using. And in the smaller communities, the smaller your community, the higher the um, chance that you'll get the Moderna vaccine. It's just easier to transport. The logistics of these vaccines are complex. And so we're, we're trying to use Moderna, which is a little bit simpler than Pfizer, um, to get out to, you know, more distant, smaller communities. Right. And you have enough vaccine on hand? We do. We, we yeah. have lots of vaccine. We're ready. Okay. All right. Welcome back to the show. Day one of BC's vaccine phone-in appointment line. My guest is Dr. Penny Ballum. She's the executive lead for the plan. And as you heard her say there just before the break, uh, mil- over a million calls have come into these phone lines already uh, to get a vaccine appointment. Just keep in mind, it's for seniors age 90 and over, Indigenous elders 65 and older. Uh, we're talking just uh, how many how many thousands of people in that category, Dr. Ballum, did you say? So there's about 50,000 seniors over 90 and yeah. about 20,000 Indigenous over 65. Right. Okay. So despite that, so 70,000 people eligible, you got, still got 1.4 million calls here. A lot of people getting uh, busy or they're getting recorded messages when they phone in. Let's go to your phone lines right now. Uh, speak to Alana in Aldergrove. Hi. Hi there. Thank Hi, you for my, taking my call. Sure. Um, I have kind of a side question. My husband is totally bedridden at home. And he's 87 in July. Myself, his wife, I'm 75 in April, and I need the shot as well, but I cannot leave him alone. How do I arrange for in-home inoculations? Dr. Ballum. Yes, for sure. Thanks so much. So um, your health authority is the Fraser Health Authority, and they have a system. Uh, We have been out vaccinating people in homes and their caregivers, um, over the last couple of weeks, I, I strongly suggest that you, you know, contact the Fraser Health Authority. That is what they have a process for people in exactly your situation. So um, if you can do that, you can go on their website and there will be a, a number to call to talk to them about that. And someone will come, will someone bring the shot to them, come to their home? Yes, normally if we have people that are unable to come into the clinic, um, we will go out and visit them. And we've already been doing that uh, across the province for people receiving home health services and long-term home support on on an ongoing basis. But we know that there are are frail seniors who are being looked after by their, their partners and spouses, as sounds like this is the case, who, you know, may not be receiving any support from the health authority. So, yes, phone in and identify yourself. And if you were to phone in when it's your eligible time to make an appointment, you can indicate um, these things. So we're, we're set up to try and respond to these situations. Okay, let's go to Monica in South Surrey. Hi. Hi. Hi there. Go ahead. Okay, I'm uh, immune uh, compromised, I believe. I I'm, I'm have rheumatoid arthritis and I'm getting Russian infusions. Mm-hmm. And I also have COPD. Yes. How, old, how old are you? 81. Dr. Okay. Ballum, when, when would she be eligible? 
So, Monica, you will be eligible in to you know to call and make your appointment in the next couple of weeks. So, on the on the week of March twenty second, you can phone in and make your appointment and come in and get vaccinated sometime in the you know the three weeks that follow. So, we're ready for you. Um, you just have to wait another couple of weeks to make your appointment, but we will get you vaccinated. Okay, let's go to Charlene on the line in Maple Ridge. Hi, Charlene. Oh, good morning, uh, Dr. Ballam and Mike. Um, my mom is 95. She lives independently in her own home. She lives in Seashelt. Now, the uh, Seashelt, the Sunshine Coast, was, oh, their phone lines have been open this morning for 80 and over, so, of course, they're completely inundated. Um, my question is, is there any interest in the government using the um, BC Services app uh, to book appointments? Because uh, te- Dr. Ballam explained that there's about 2,000 calls that have been processed in about two hours, so that's about a thousand an hour. It's going to take seventy hours for even the current um, over ninety and over sixty-five Indigenous community to be processed. So, uh, you know, yeah. there okay. has to be something better than a plain old phone line. Dr. Ballum. Yes. So we're we're using scheduling apps, um, and you know the, the the BC Services card will be something that we will bring online. It's not quite ready yet, but we will have a very robust digital platform over the next few weeks that will be brought in to support the rest of the mass vaccination. Um, and right, right now, what we're, you know, I think you're, you're, you will have a clinic in Seashell, as you know, um, that will be there to vaccinate everyone over 80. So you have a bigger group that we're going to vaccinate in these, in this next couple of weeks. So I'm very happy that we're going to get to you. And yes, today is it's going to be congested. We we knew it was going to be like that, and we're going to do everything to streamline it. But I just encourage patients, and you know, ask your 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 community to only one person per person age over 90 or our general population or over 65 for Indigenous, and just be patient. Phone back tomorrow okay. in the evening. It will we will. It will get sorted, I promise what, you. Why are they doing 80 and over in Seashell? Seashell is, a like many of our small communities, what we've done is, because of the small number of seniors over 90, um, when we go to a small community, it's, it's not worthwhile to come back for over 90, over 80, over 85. So what we're doing in uh, many of our small communities around the provinces we're scheduling a clinic, and everyone over the age of 80 or over 65 for Indigenous can get vaccinated in that same clinic. In the okay. larger areas, Mike, um, we, we just don't, um, we, we have to s- separate it out a bit more to in order to deal with the volume. Let's go to Bill on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Bill. Hey, Bill. How are you doing? Good. Go ahead. Good. Um, I got conflicting information on this. My father lives in the interior. My wife's up there going to make the phone call for him. He's born in 1931. He will be 90 in June. But you got global news saying anybody born in 1931, even I believe I heard it on TKNW, anybody born in 1931 to phone today. Does he phone today or does he wait? He phones today. But you know what? He should wait till tomorrow uh, because, <laughs> you know, he'll, he'll get, he's more likely to get right through. So I would say absolutely he's eligible this week, Mike, to, uh, or Bill, sorry, to uh, schedule himself. So it's seniors this week born on or before the year of 1931. Right, and just we have just 30 seconds left here, Dr. Ballum. So your advice okay. for people for people who are just getting the, uh, a busy signal over and over again, are, are you advising them to wait a day? Just wait a day, yeah. Okay. Wait a day. Okay. Just the messages, Mike, we have lots of vaccination capacity. We will get them in. 
everyone's going to get vaccinated. Okay. So just be patient. Yeah. Thank you Th- so much. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk now about the bombshell interview that the whole world is talking about today. Of course, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Remember when they confirmed a while ago they would not be returning to their regular royal duties? Well, last night, they sat down with TV legend Oprah Winfrey to talk about their experiences as members of the British royal family. And wow, what an interview it was conversations about how dark their baby's skin tone would be wow really a rift between prince harry and his father prince charles you know harry at one point said is prince charles stop taking my calls and megan saying she just did not want to be alive anymore and had contemplated suicide wow this interview causing a storm especially across the pond in the uk where everybody is uh, talking about it there it airs there in the united kingdom uh, tonight let's have a little listen here to megan markle the duchess of sussex and here she is and how life as a royal made her feel and i i just didn't i just didn't want to be alive anymore and that was a very clear and real and frightening constant thought okay megan markle last night in conversation with oprah we'll have a few more clips uh, to play for you all the clips are courtesy of harpo productions and cbs and the interview that aired last night including last night on global in canada let's discuss now with my guest sad salam he is the founder and editor of the royal watcher and i'm very pleased to welcome him for uh, to the show sad thanks a lot for coming on thank you Okay, I'm not sure if we got a real good connection there with you. What was it like when, what went through your mind as you watched the interview last night? What jumped out at you? There were a lot of shocking revelations about Meghan and Harry's time, but really it was, um, there were three main points. They gave our revelations about their relationship with the royal family, the good stuff and the bad stuff. They talked about the lack of support they got from the royal household and mental health and Meghan's title talk, but also about the racism they and their son have received and how that played a role in them leaving the institution. Okay, let's play some more clips here of the interview. Here is Meghan Markle last night, uh, and here she is speaking about reaching out for help. Meghan Markle. I went to the institution, and I said that I needed to go somewhere to get help. I said that I've never felt this way before, and I need to go somewhere. And I was told that I couldn't, that it wouldn't be good for the institution. Okay, uh, Sad, what did you think of that? I found that really surprising because over the past couple of years, um, the younger royals, Prince William, Harry, and Dr. Cambridge, they've been very vocal about their own struggles with mental health, and they founded a lot of charities and organizations to combat that. They founded Heads Together, which really encourages people to talk out about us and be vocal. So I found it quite surprising that Megan wasn't necessarily given the same support, even though she and her family were still involved in these mental health guidelines. Okay, there were some lighter moments uh, in the interview last night as well, including uh, the couple uh, revealing uh, that their next baby, the sex of their next baby. Here's Harry talking about that. It's a go. <laughs> Okay, but here's the one that's got everybody talking, and this is Meghan Markle on concern over their son Archie's 
skin color. Now, remember, she is of, of mixed race. And here she is describing concerns about will Archie have dark skin? And she also talked last night that they were told that Archie would not have the royal title of prince. Here's Meghan Markle last night. There is a conversation. Hold up. Hold up. There's Stop several right now. There are several conversations. There's a about conversation it. with you. With Harry. About how dark your baby is going to be? Potentially, and what that would mean or look like. Ooh. And you're not going to tell me who had the conversation? I think that would be very damaging to them. Okay, Meghan Markle speaking last night. That side, that was maybe the most controversial uh, part of the entire interview when she disclosed that. And Oprah Winfrey, by the way, this morning saying that Harry later told her off camera that the people who had the dis- these discussions, these family discussions about the skin color of their baby, uh, Harry told Oprah that that was not the queen and it was not Prince Philip. So I guess we're left with a with a guessing game about who it was that said these things. But Saad, your thoughts? Yeah, that was really the most shocking allegation from the interview so far. And it was really, um, they have said it was a senior royal who made this alleged statement. And um, so if it wasn't the Queen and uh, Duke of Edinburgh, then it leaves not a lot of people left. And it's really... Um, you have to understand that this had such a deep impact on Harry and Meghan's understanding of their status in the royal family. And um, you talk about the lack of title for their son, Archie. Actually, that was something that has been set in the royal family's protocols. They have letters sent in which um, Archie, as the great-grandson of a monarch, who's not a direct heir to the throne, he would not get a title until Prince Charles' king when and Archie's actual title is Earl of Dunbarton as the okay. heir to the deep stem of Sussex. All right, talking about the interview last night with Harry and Meghan, and there's two-hour sit-down interview with Oprah making waves on uh, both sides of the pond here. It's kind of interesting, the the reaction. A lot of American viewers last night uh, seemed to be impressed with the couple's bravery and their honesty and speaking out, but uh, different reaction to an extent in the United Kingdom where a lot of people appear to be upset. Uh, about some of the comments made about uh, the royal family. Let's have another listen here to Prince Harry uh, speaking last night to Oprah. This is courtesy of Harpro Productions and CBS. And here he is speaking about the communication around uh, leaving his royal duties. I had uh, three conversations with my grandmother and two conversations with my father um, before he stopped taking my calls. And then said, can you put this all in writing, what your plan is? Your father asked you to put it in writing? Yeah. Uh, he asked me to put it in writing. I put all the specifics in there, even the fact that we were planning on putting the announcement out on the 7th of January. Okay, Prince Harry speaking last night to Oprah. Uh, my guest is Saad Salam. He's the founder and editor of The Royal Watcher. Hey, Saad, do you think this interview is damaging the royal family? Yes, I think uh, in the long run, Harry and Meghan are really putting this interview towards the North American market. They want to create a new kind of perception for themselves. And in that, they see the need to kind of really clarify what happened. And in addressing all these things, you have to remember that this is very much Harry and Meghan's perspective. The royal family will necessarily not be allowed to kind of answer back officially to any of the allegations. So it is going to be 
very kind of damaging in that long term. Okay, there are some new uh, new clips emerging uh, this morning as well uh, on some of the other things that were said in the interview last night, including Harry uh, taking some some shots at the tabloid press in the in the United Kingdom, accusing accusing the press of being racist and bigoted, uh, raising fresh allegations of racism in Britain as well. And boy, everyone is talking in the United Kingdom about this interview this morning. 604-280-9898 is the number to call me. Star 9898 on yourself. Let's go to Peter on the line in Poco. Hey, Peter. Uh, good morning. What did you think? Oh, I love your show. Long-time listener. Well, yeah, um, well, I was British-born. Uh, I came over to Canada when I was a wee kid with my parents, and I traveled back and forth uh, across, across the ocean for quite, quite a few years. And I think it took um, Megan and Harry a lot of courage to do what they did. And actually, I thought they pulled the punches on um, what they were saying. I thought they were very polite, a little too polite as far as I'm concerned. What do you think about, there's some reaction, I mean, reaction is divided on this, especially in the United Kingdom. I mean, a lot of people in the UK, British people like yourself, feel the same way, but there's also a lot of uh, commentary from experts this morning that say that uh, people think that they should be stripped of their Duke and Duchess titles. What do you think of that? Um, Well, I think maybe it's, uh, I don't know how seriously um, Harry is concerned about those those titles. I mean, like I say, it took a lot of courage for him to do what he did. And it's tradition, the royal tradition, I mean, it's long, long time. It's due for change. Okay, Peter, thanks for calling in. Let's go to some more calls here. Katerina in Vancouver. Hi. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I've been following the story for a while, and I'm of a different opinion. I really do think that it's shameful, and I feel that she is ungrateful. She knew what she was getting herself into when she joined the royal family. I'm sure there were lots of conversations before they went public. And it is shameful that they talked about the baby's skin color. That is horrible. However, what she's doing now, how she's damaging the royal family is wrong. And I'm sorry, but if you push, if one person in your family is bad, potentially they could be. But her father's bad. Her half-sister's bad. The royals are bad. Perhaps it's not them, but it's her who is the issue. Okay, Katarina, thank you for calling in. Well, Saad, the, the comments about the baby's skin color seem to be the most explosive comments that were made in the interview last night and oprah revealing this morning she's saying that harry told her off camera that the people in the royal family who made those comments were not the queen not prince philip so i don't know i mean i guess it turns into kind of like a game of royal clue like was it colonel mustard in the library like who's who said this stuff? I mean, what what do you think of that? Like saying that these 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 things were said, but then refusing to say who said them. What do you think of that tactic? Yeah, I think in a sense that was a very misleading tactic on their part because it opens up a lot of speculation. And rather yeah. than they claim that they didn't uh, state the name of the individual to protect the reputation, but at the same time, this kind of put the entire royal family under suspicion and. It doesn't necessarily look good on Harry and Meghan because if their claims are so serious, then they should have the courage, especially if they're speaking out about this, to name the person who said yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, you're left to wonder who, who said allegedly said these things. Was it Prince Charles? Was it Camilla? I mean, we don't know. They wouldn't say. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 in your cell. Al in Coquitlam. Hey, Al. Hey, good morning, Mike. You know, wait, watching the interview, I was struck by... Uh, when Harry started talking uh, about, you know, his mother. And I think there's some parallels there, I think, to what happened to Meghan and Diana. 
Yeah. And at one point, you know, Harry kind of referenced that he's not one to really believe much in divine kind of intervention, but you could kind of see that he was being, he said, it looked like we were kind of being led down a very specific path each and every time they had made a decision. And the other point I wanted to make is, you know, Harry's been in the military. He's a very, he probably thinks very strategically. And I think the relationship with his father probably played a large part in this, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, his decision making. Al, thanks for thanks for a really good call. And it was interesting to hear him talk about his mother, Princess Diana, as well, who also did a, a bombshell interview of her own at one point, and drawing some parallels between Meghan's experience and the experience of his mother, Princess Diana. Yeah, that was interesting. James on the line in Vancouver. Hi, James. Hi. I just want to say, uh, you know, Meghan came across at the very beginning there very naive, like. She didn't know she had to curtsy to the Queen. She didn't know be a national anthem. Like, don't you do the homework before you get involved in the family? Yeah, no, that was interesting. Thanks for that. That she did say at the at the start of very early on in the interview, and Saad, for your thoughts, that Oprah asked her, well, didn't you know what you were getting into here? And she said that she was very naive about it and didn't do a lot of research into royal protocol or, or what it would be like. But your thoughts? Yeah, that's the points that the callers have made are really interesting because you have to remember that this interview is attempted to really create a new narrative about Harry and Meghan's thoughts. And they really tried to tie in Princess Diana with their story. You have to remember that their departure has not necessarily been as straightforward as they have been portraying. They had lots of times when they wanted to be in the family, they didn't, and they're... Uh, didn't necessarily face any kind of uh, questioning about their own behavior that led to this. So we think about um, kind of how they really like will go forward with this. And Megan, in a sense, did come out quite naive. And I think um, it was really not because they made a lot of statements that the royal family didn't help them. But at the same time, the queen took Megan on a train tour and the family were very welcoming as well. So mm. there were a couple of places in which you could feel that um, really it was kind of more Harry's fault that he didn't prepare Megan. Mm. And they, she was really like, they in their engagement interview, they said they're going to hit okay. the ground running. Okay. Let's and squeeze they're going to start royal duties like everyone else. But really, squeeze they should one, have taken some time off. Squeeze in one more call. Paul and Delta, we got 30 seconds. Go ahead. Whoa. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Paul. Okay. Paul's got. I think got his speaker. A speaker on. Okay. We're. Uh, thank you for all the calls. Well, let's leave it at that. Let's leave it there. Saad, thank you for coming on today to talk about it. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Welcome back to the show. Time for Baldry's Beat. My visit with Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Happy Monday. Okay. We just uh, finished talking about the big Megan and Harry sit down mm. interview last night with Oprah. Did you watch it? Oh yeah. Yeah. What'd you think? <laughs> I watched most of it. Oh, well, I thought uh, Harry and Meghan came off uh, very sympathetic, painting a very disturbing picture, which shouldn't be a total surprise to anybody who follows the Royals over the years and the various uh, depictions on screen and such. The firm, uh, Charles looks like uh, not very good. Well, so at one point, he's, Queen, at, Queen at, one point okay. at one point, Harry said that Prince Charles is, Won't is take dad. Stop. <laughs> Stop taking his calls. his calls. Dad, take I'll, my call. I mean, a dysfunctional family, to say the least. But obviously, yeah. they, the Harry and Meghan just aren't buying into the 
uh, the rules and the, and the the way of life that they they if you want to be a member of that household you have to accede to. It. It's interesting, although Meghan Markle talking about how they took away her, she had no keys, no passport, not allowed to phone anyone. It's almost like that John Grisham novel, The Firm, where if you're a lawyer, you're not allowed to uh, depart the firm ever <laughs> on pain of you know what. Okay, well, it seems like a different reaction on the other side of the pond, though. There's more negative reaction, if you believe some of the headlines. Well, I think uh, it's, in the, it's in the in British the tabloid press self-interest to promote yeah. the pro-monarchy side here and yeah. to take Harry and Meghan on, but uh, I think they came out the winner. Okay, make sure you phone me on the buzz. We had a lot of calls on that. A lot of people couldn't get through. So phone me on the buzz line and tell me what you thought about it if you watched it last night. 604-331-BUZZ, 604-331-2899. Okay, let's bring it home and talk about the important stuff going on here at yeah. home, and that's the rollout of the vaccine plan. I spoke to Dr. Penny Ballum mm-hmm. this morning, who is the lead, the executive lead for the vaccine plan. Uh, the phone lines open this morning, 7 a.m. for British Columbians age 90 and over, Indigenous elders 65 and older. That's 70,000 people who are eligible to get a COVID vaccine appointment starting mm-hmm. today. And she said they had 1.4 million phone calls in the first two hours. Your thoughts? And that's not 1.4 million people. That's probably you know 100,000 people phoning 10 times each or something, 11 times each. So it's... Uh, it's like again, people getting a busy signal hanging up yeah, and phoning immediately again. phoning again. Yeah. And what I find you know remarkable is a year ago today or this month, we everybody was talking about the, the doom and gloom. We were not going to have a vaccine for two or three years. It takes years to get a vaccine. We had a vet, we've got four vaccines now in Canada, or three and about to get four, uh, at record pace. Yeah. It's uh, in a situation no one saw coming, yet people are freaking out because they can't get through a phone call in the first two hours of the call center being open. So my advice to people, and I told my, my I've got some 90-year-old relatives, don't freak out. Don't even think you have to phone right away. If your, your appointment's not going to disappear because you can't get through in the first few hours or even the first couple of days. Take your time. Your world's not going to end if you, if you have to wait till tomorrow to call. So again, my advice: don't you know? Everybody, just chill. Uh, grab a cup of coffee if you want to phone, and you're over ninety. Phone uh, and phone. You know, keep phoning if you want, but don't freak out that you've got to phone five hundred times in one day, and, or else you're not going to get your. And she That's said, not how it works. She said they are ready to vaccinate these seventy thousand people next week. Mm-hmm. So when you do get through and you get the appointment from next week, she said you're going to get your shot. They've got enough vaccine. They'll be using the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer, Pfizer. vaccine uh, next week. And, and, she, and, and she said, that, yeah, and she said the same thing, by the way. She said, look, if you're trying over and over again and you can't get through this morning, be patient, try later or try tomorrow, you know, because this is open all week and you have all week to make the yeah, appointment to get tell, the shot next week. Tell us to set these call centers up, uh, these call lines for all the health authorities. There's well more than a couple hundred people working the phones here on behalf of uh, the health authorities. You're going to get through, but you're not going to necessarily get through at, right at the beginning. So just take your time. Your appointment's not going to disappear because you make it tomorrow. Why are they doing it exclusively on a phone line? Why, why can't you do it online? Well, Fraser, Fraser Health does have an online registration ability. Uh, hmm. One of the things is that not a lot of 90-year-olds are conversant or, or familiar with the technology in terms of online registration. Uh, they thought they'd miss a lot of people if they just had online but Fraser Health does have an online uh, really so if you're tool. so if you're in Surrey or elsewhere in Fraser Health Authority yeah. you can go online can and go make online. the appointment it's on, it's on the health authority okay. website right. uh, in April though everyone's going to have online uh, accessibility so it's going to oh. that's when we get into the general population that's when we move into a more online and that's when again 
the fact that the call centers are be- behaving like this right now in terms of not getting through is not unexpected. I mean, I talked to Dr. Ballum and, and Minister Dix and Dr. Henry about this before. There was the expectation that the call centers could get overwhelmed at the beginning. They're not going to be surprised if the websites crash as they've crashed in other jurisdictions. Although she told me they have not crashed. The system did not crash this morning. It hasn't crashed. I but mean, they are getting busy. They are getting busy. They're worried, worried the website will crash when it's up huh. and running in April because that's no. a little harder, I think, to, to manage. I mean, you go back to the uh, the campground registration website crashed. Uh, the 811 call center back in uh, at the beginning of the pandemic was overwhelmed by people phoning. It didn't crash, but it was just overwhelmed by the number of people phoning. And we're seeing that today. I think things will smooth themselves out. But again, it's just it's an indication also just how much interest there is out there of people yeah. wanting to get vaccinated. People want their shot. People want the shot yeah. for sure. And so, yeah, that's a lot of calls, 1.4 million calls. I think you make a great point that a lot of that could be just people dialing over and over and over again. Like I had an email from a guy this morning. He says, I've tried 20 times yeah. to get through this morning. Yeah. You know? And when you put yourself in so that that's 20 situation. separate calls. Yeah. And that exactly. It doesn't mean 20 separate people. So yeah. one, again, since we're only talking less than 100,000 people who are supposed to be getting the, the, the vaccine on this basis in terms yeah. of that cohort, you're not going to get 1.4 individuals phoning in. It's really a small num- smaller number of people phoning many times. Okay, another thing to keep in mind is that in smaller communities, or depending where you are in the north of the province, for example, or we had a caller on the line from Seashelt this morning mm-hmm. who phoned up and said, well, in Seashelt, they are vaccinating people 80 and over. And Dr. Ballum said, yes, that is, that is, yeah, that is correct. You. In some smaller towns, they are, in, they are vaccinating more people, not just 90 and over. Yeah, it varies really uh, right across the province. Vancouver yeah. Island has identified about 30 communities of less than 4,000 residents who are going to get vaccinated all at once. It doesn't matter yeah. about your age group. It's just because it's so hard to get to these communities. Why make return trips? Once you're in, do everyone because there's small numbers. Same thing in a number of northern communities and interior communities, very remote situations. Would that start next week? Would people start doing that? Yeah. Well, it's starting fairly quickly. I think that, that will start in April when we uh-huh. have the general rollout because it's gonna, it takes, in some instances, six hours to get to some of these remote villages. And why do two or three t- trips using up human resources like this when we're only talking about a few hundred people in that village or that hamlet or even less than uh, 4,000 people. So that's what it's going to look like in a lot of the remote communities. So if, you know, for someone listening who's on the island or they're in the north or they're in a, they're in a smaller town right now, how would they know if, if they're vaccinating everyone in their town? Go to the webs, go to the, go to the health website, authority you're, website. And you're going to, there's going to be local communication as well. I mean, yeah. there's hundreds of people, well, there's thousands of people involved in the rollout. Yeah. Uh, I think 1,500 at least people are going to be part of this rollout. There's going to be a lot of communication. We're just at the very beginning of this. April's going to be a very busy month with uh, both yeah the age cohort, and the smaller communities are getting vaccinated. Okay, let me ask you real quickly about a story we followed here over, over the last few weeks, and that's the sort of political landscape federally, and whether Justin Trudeau might call a snap election here if the vaccine rollout goes successfully mm-hmm. here, which I think he might do. There's been a lot, lots more analysis here in the last few days about Aaron O'Toole, the federal conservative party, Facing internal challenges in that party. The polls are not going well for him. He's had some con- internal controversies that he's dealt with in a kind of a clumsy fashion. Uh, and there's, uh, is there a backlash against this guy in the Tory well, ranks? Do you think? Seems to be building. What's interesting, a lot of uh, national commentators who I would say sort of on the conservative side of the spectrum are the ones um, writing about this. this. These are not liberals taking shots at Aaron O'Toole. These are conservative uh, pundits. Uh, saying he's got a lot of internal baggage uh, problems that he has to deal with. So, again, remember, he courted the social conservatives to successfully win the leadership. 
Then he's moved centrist. He's mused about potentially a carbon tax. Yeah. That alienates a lot of people within that party. The, the conservatives, are, you know, pick a lane and stick to it. And he's having a hard time doing that. And I think Justin Trudeau is looking at a combination of things. The vaccine rollout, which I think is going to make public opinion almost buoyant as they see people, uh, literally hundred, well, millions of people getting shots in the arms. You couple that with uh, dis disunity on the conservative side. That does that wet does for, that wet the appetite oh, for, so. for, for Trudeau, Trudeau even more to Again, call that election? Still not clear how he would trigger it. But the conservatives and the uh, NDP both say they don't want an election. They're not going to vote him down, but we'll see. All right, welcome back to the show as we continue talking about the vaccine plan rollout. 1.4 million calls to the lines when it opened at uh, 7 a.m. this morning. A senior citizens age 90 and over eligible to get an appointment today. Uh, indigenous elder 65 and older. My guest is Keith Baldry. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. 604 280 9898 star 9898 on your cell. Arlene in Surrey, hi. Hi. Hi there, go ahead. Okay, I just wanted to tell you that I called in this morning for my mom at 7 o'clock. I got through at 8.15, and she was going to be given an appointment today. Wow. I couldn't take her today, so I have an appointment for her for tomorrow. Wow, okay, great. How do you, okay, how do you feel? I wanted to let you know that. How do you feel about that? No, that's absolutely perfect. I thought I would yeah. be taking her next week. Yeah. But... I, you know, I, like I said, I couldn't take her today. Tomorrow was fine. Um, there, I could have taken her to a drive-through today, or wow. a, a the place where I am going to take her tomorrow. Great. So, great to lots hear. of options. Everything was great. I was just surprised that she could get in so quickly. Yeah, that's great, Arlene. Good luck tomorrow. Thanks Fra for calling. Go ahead. Fraser has five drive-throughs, yeah. which I think are going to be very popular, and it'll be interesting if other health authorities follow suit. Where well, are Where are the other typical clinics located? Well, they're in uh, pretty well all sorts of arenas, yeah. uh, uh, community centers. Um, here in Victoria, the Archie Browning Arena in Esquimalt is going to be one of the main ones, but there's going to be other clinics set up as well. The list of clinics right now is not finite. It's going to be added to. Uh, we're going to get up to one hundred, more than 170 spots uh, when we get to uh, the peak of this. Keep phoning me, 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on yourself. Fiona on Vancouver Island. Hi. Hi there. Hi. Well, sadly, I don't have as much good news as your last caller. I okay. did get up at uh, this morning at 7 o'clock. I managed to get through and stay on hold for an hour till I was disconnected and haven't oh. been able to mm. get back on hold. Uh, my mom's 94. I really am disappointed. I feel that the B.C. government truly has forgotten our at-home elders, Um it just, it's really shocking to me that this is the best they can do. If my mother was in assisted living, they'd have somebody helping her. Mm -hmm. um, I'm there to help her. I don't know why. We couldn't have online registration because surely they have to understand that these elderly seniors won't be sitting on hold and trying to get through by themselves. So, you know, we're more than capable of doing that. They usually have an advocate for them that does all their booking. And, and secondly, I'm also disappointed looking at, you know, for instance, Lady Smith, where I am. Um, if, I mean, I'll take my mom if and when I can ever get through to the soonest appointment. But the clinic doesn't actually start in Lady Smith till the 30th of March. I mean, hmm. you know, my mom has isolated for over a year. She's done the right thing. She tries to do the right thing, but I, I don't. I mean, 
Where would you have to, like, if you get your appointment next week, as the government promises, where would you have to take her in that case? Do you know? If I want it next week, it wouldn't yeah. be far. It would hopefully be Duncan or Nanaimo. I would okay. drive to Victoria. I'd drive to Comox. You know, yeah. at this point, I, I just think it's important that we get these seniors vaccinated. Okay. I mean, okay. Thank you, Fiona, for the call. Yeah, um, tough situation, and I feel for you. Hopefully you can get through. Uh, just just keep trying. I mean, again, there's nothing wrong if you get the appointment, if you get through tomorrow rather than today. It just means the difference of one day, but uh, keep trying. One thing that, one reason that they were going with a phone system for, especially for people age 90 and over, is I think there was some concern that some seniors would not have access to online. Exactly. And right? But why wouldn't they do both? Uh, well, that's what Fraser's doing. And again, yeah. if Fraser can do it, why isn't Vancouver Coastal, Viha, Interior, and North doing the same thing? So it's unclear why one health authority yeah. has an online uh, capability, the others do not. But let's, that's going to change in April. Let's go to Marina in Vancouver. Hi. Yeah, hi. I called. Um, I'm actually in North Vancouver, and I start. I was on the dot at 7 o'clock, was trying to do it for 45 minutes, so I was one of the many callers who called more than once, yeah. probably called 30 times, I think. And then I decided that um, I looked, realized that Fraser Health, you could do it online. I decided, well, I'm just going to do it online with Fraser Health, even if I have to drive further. I oh, but, you're, but, you don't live in, but you don't live in Fraser Health, though, right? No, I don't. I don't, oh. but I'm willing to drive my mother, who's over 90, right? So I did book it, and I do have to drive far, and I got it for Monday next week. And um, that was my hmm. loophole. I thought that they might just kick me off the website if they realized where I was, but I put in the address. It all went fine. So they told so, you told them that you you don't live in the yep. Fraser Health Authority, and they oh, said yeah, that's no, you've okay. Got to put everything down. You've got to put your that, address that, down and everything. Yeah, that is a loophole. Which you've yeah, you've, that is a loophole. So anyway, congratulations. I did it and I'm <laughs> going to have to drive a little bit farther, but you know I'm thankful for it, and uh, that's a tip for everyone. Okay, okay Maria, thank is, you. I think the number one thing is to ensure that people are actually over the age of ninety. Where they live may not be as uh, big a priority as that age. The Fraser Health Authority website is being overwhelmed right <laughs> yeah, now with right. people saying, "I just got a loophole here." Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's go to uh, Bruce and Chase, B.C. Hiya, Bruce. How are you doing today? I'm good. Go ahead. Yeah, I have a question more for Keith, because he's, I, I know he's been probably at most of Audie Henry's press conferences and whatnot, and he's probably asked her lots and lots of questions, as have others. I am immunocompromised because I had had a kidney transplant back in 2012. There are many of us, for example, in Kamloops, there's well over 100 people who are kidney transplant people. There are also other people who are immunocompromised, and yet we don't hear anything. I believe we are listed by Health Canada as in the vulnerable group, which I believe was supposed to be near the top. Yeah. I just wondered if Keith has heard anything as to people like myself yeah. who have compromised April, April, right? Yeah. Uh, So yeah, you'll be near the. You 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 will not get your vaccination based on your age. It is because of your your medical condition. Uh, Organ transplant uh, recipients are on the list. That's right. You'll be going, uh, uh, Bruce, ahead of the uh, the age group, your your cohort. So. Uh, che- uh, presumably, being a transplant uh, recipient, you're still in touch with medical practitioners. They should be ta- contacting you or talk to your local health authority because you are going to be sooner than later. All right, welcome back to the show. We're going to talk now about the rise of crypto art. Now, crypto art, what is that? It's kind of like it's kind of like cryptocurrency. It's digital art created online, bought and sold, just like traditional works of art 
but these works exist online in cyberspace. And what's fascinating is the rise in value of some of these works of digital art or crypto art. It's incredible. Have a listen to this report here now by Reuters reporter Elizabeth Howcraft. In October of 2020, a 10-second piece of video art of what appears to be a giant Donald Trump collapsed on the ground and covered in slogans amid an otherwise idyllic setting was purchased by Miami-based art collector Pablo Rodriguez Frail for $67,000. Last week, he sold it for $6.6 million. The video by digital artist Beeple, whose real name is Mike Winkleman, was authenticated by blockchain, which serves as a digital signature to certify who owns it and that it is the original work. It's a new type of digital asset known as a non-fungible token, or NFT, that has exploded in popularity as enthusiasts and investors scramble to spend enormous sums of money on items that only exist online. Rodriguez Frail explained what he thinks set this piece of digital content apart and made it worth its hefty price tag. Same argument as, you know, you can go into, into the loop and take a picture of the Mona Lisa and you can have it there, but it doesn't have any value because uh, it, it doesn't have the provenance or the history of the work. Okay, that is fascinating. That report there from Reuters News, $6.6 million. Really? Imagine spending that much money for a 10-second video clip that ex- only exists online. Crypto art growing in popularity now i highly encourage you to check out the story on this in the globe and mail uh by their very fine arts reporter marcia lederman and i've just tweeted it out for you you can find it there and marcia joins me now marcia thanks a lot for coming on no problem 6.6 million you could almost get a fix fixer upper in east van a bungalow <laughs> for that amount yeah no kidding that's an amazing amount of money and i i thought you wrote a terrific article on this in the globe the other day which i i really encourage listeners to to check out about the rise of this kind of art can you uh can you describe for the listeners marcia like how does this work like how does a piece of digital art online end up being worth millions of dollars oh if i could explain that uh (laughs) i probably wouldn't be here right now i'd be in bermuda or something at my (laughs) estate uh well, there. <laughs> uh, let me explain what it looks like, first of all. It yeah, looks sort okay. of like an animated work, often, and often there is animation involved. Sometimes there's music involved, and sometimes these works are... Um, well, they're they're always offered online, except recently, I think the reason a lot of people might have heard about this is that Christie's is selling a work by Beeple, that same artist who was mentioned in that report. Yes. Uh, and that has lent a sort of new legitimacy to this work. They sell, the artists sell these works on websites that are specifically for this kind of work. Uh, for instance, the artist I wrote about, a Canadian artist, uses the website Nifty Gateway, which is a very popular one. And there are a couple of ways to rack up the those sales one is you offer uh as many copies of a work as as people can buy essentially up to about ten thousand but they only have five minutes to buy those works and in that case the the price tag is stable or there's one work offered and it's offered for 23 hours and it's auctioned off so the amount goes up but then on the secondary market which again was what that report was about these 
these prices are going haywire. They're yeah. so high. Uh, there's such a demand for them. And what's beautiful about it is the artist gets a cut. Whereas if I make a painting and it sells at the gallery for 10 bucks and then at auction it sells for $1,000 or $10,000, I get none of that. Right. In this case, the artist gets a cut when it's sold, when it's resold. And that's also pushing the prices up. Well, it's an amazingly dynamic market right now. And some of the prices that some of these works are demanding are just incredible. Like in your article in the Globe and Mail, you write about a Canadian artist named Micah Doback, who goes by the, the name is, is uh, Mad Dog Jones is his crypto art name. And tell me about the, the work of art that he created and how much it sold for. Sure. So his name is Misha. And Misha, he Misha, did, sorry. It's okay. He did, he lives in Thunder Bay or just outside Thunder Bay now. And he did what's called a drop. Uh, and that's when the work is offered. And in this drop, he sold, he was selling two different works. Uh, and one of them was, um, gosh, how do you describe it? It's like there's a black cat uh, uh, hanging out in a laundromat and the laundromat's kind of a purplish color and uh, and the cat is watching some laundry spin around and then there's a, a television on top with some breaking news uh, yeah. scrolling across the screen. And then, uh, and then in another one, you see a, a taxi kind of stuck in the middle of what appears to be an Asian city with the d- doors are flung open and there's some kind of lightning storm going on. And they're beautiful works. They're yes. gorgeous. Um, and they uh, they were offered at this drop a couple of weeks ago, and they brought in a fortune. This guy, in five minutes, made almost $4 million. Wow. In five minutes. <laughs> no, it's it's incredible. I mean, and I checked out some of his work, and it, it is really beautiful, I thought. I thought it was really striking-looking art. and But I thought... How could something like that be worth $4 million? Like, couldn't somebody, you know, the first thing I thought, couldn't someone just take a screenshot of that and then have it have it for themselves on their own computer without having to pay $4 million? But the difference is each one of these works of art has got like a unique identifier attached to it, right? That sort That's of traces right. its probably uses the blockchain technology. Exactly. It's tied yeah. to the blockchain the way... Right. Um, that Bitcoin is tied to the blockchain. So it's right. authenticated that way. And that's another way that the artists always get paid on subsequent sales, usually, but usually 10%. So it's, it's authenticated in that way. And let's be honest, a lot of people are buying this stuff for speculation. There are a lot yes. of people in the tech world who are buying these and then selling, reselling them and making a fortune. Uh, part of that drop that uh, I wrote about what it's, it's a little bit complicated but Misha had originally sold a bunch of work for a dollar a piece now he was asking people to re- to return um, five of those works and they would get a new work in exchange um, it's very it's very hard to explain but then the cost of those initial works went nuts on the secondary market. And he ended up making a fortune that way. Like one of them sold for $125,000. Another one sold for $120,000. Um, 
And he gets a cut of that, but mostly the people who benefit are the people who believed in him at the beginning, the beginning, you know, a few months ago. Uh, And and then they're making all this money from him. Okay, we just got two minutes left here, Marcia. When I read about this, I find it fascinating, but it also seems like you, you mentioned like a very speculative market and maybe people can... Certainly some artists are making a lot of money, but I imagine you could possibly lose a lot of money too and, and these type of type of sales. But do you think it's kind of like a like a fad, kind of like a, a Bitcoin sort of flash in the pan, or does this become a more accepted and mainstream world of of art collecting? As you mentioned, I mean when Christie's auction house is getting involved, you know, you can't get much more mainstream than that when it comes to art. Right? Exactly. That yeah. that lends it a lot of legitimacy. And right. I asked that question. I asked um, the head of artist relations at Nifty Gateway, is this just a fad? And he told me about his uh, their sales numbers. In January of this year, they did $8.5 million U.S., um, wow. which is a lot. In February, $50 million. Whoa. Over yeah. fifty million, but yeah, I guess that could, could crash. Please, nobody take any financial advice from me ever. <laughs> it would be a huge mistake. Yeah, no, it is fascinating. Uh, congrats on the article. I, th- I thought it was great, and uh, thanks for coming on to talk about it today. Always good to talk to you, Mike. Thank uh, you. All right, welcome back to the show, and a happy International Women's Day. Whether you celebrate today or you did over the weekend, I hope you commemorate all the incredible women in your life and cheer on their success. Unfortunately, not everyone on the same page. Our show contributor, John Jang, now has a story about a disgusting incident that occurred on Saturday. John. Good morning, Mike, and happy International Women's Day. Now, I wish I had a happier story to share, but perhaps this is a true example of the hardship that women faced in the past and continue to face even today. On Saturday this past weekend, the Richmond Women's Resource Center was running their International Women's Day virtual event, which means all of the organizers, volunteers, keynote speakers were connected to a conference call using Zoom. And while the event started out just fine, during the middle of the celebrations, the conference call was Zoom bombed by hackers looking to disrupt the event with messages of hate and pornography. Megan Chambers is an appointed member of the Board of Directors at the Resource Center, and she is joining us now to take us through exactly what happened. Megan, thank you for giving us some time here today. Oh, not a problem at all. Happy to talk to, about, talk to you about it. Take us through exactly what happened, because from what I've read, this was truly horrifying stuff during a moment where we're supposed to be celebrating women. Yeah, um, so everything seemed to be running fine for our event. Um, we were... Halfway our keynote address um, by Annie Lowe and Savmeet Sandu of the Boss Lady Collective. Um, they were doing an amazing job, and all of a sudden, scribbles started appearing on the screen, and we were like, okay, what's happening? And all of a sudden, the scribbles started to take shape to some pretty vulgar images. Um, we started to try and get control of it. In the meantime, um, the person started sending... Um, messages to whichever women were speaking at the time, um, calling them some pretty vile, disgusting things. Um, I was asked uh, some pretty uh, racy questions during uh, my um, uh, private messages. Um, And then when we thought we had it under control, um, the person kept changing their name, kept changing 
to somebody else who was already in the room. Um, so, for example, they would be taking on the name of a past director and using the N-word in the chat. And it was just horrific to see this developing and in the background trying to control this and just figure out how to stop it at the time. Um, and then all of a sudden, we just hear music and audio start playing and a pornogra pornography video starts popping up on the screen. and it's just appalling. One level after another after another. And thankfully, we have some very amazing women in our um, office um, that were able to get a hold of the situation, um, lock down the room, remove the person. And we were able to continue our event. Um, I really want to say thank you to our MC, Thor Diakow, and to the Ladies of Boss Lady Collective because they were just amazing. They were able to just take it and pivot with it. And we just really were able to take the rest of the event and really connect with our theme that we're stronger together. We're going to make it through this. And we just really wanted to take this and use it as a learning opportunity for everybody that this is still happening and this is not okay, that a women event like this was targeted like this. It's not okay. I appreciate that you and the others elected to take the high road, and I'm very sorry that you had to deal with this in the first place, but I think it's an unfortunate reality check that there are people threatened by women in business, and that this isn't just a one-off outlier event. It's an example that society still has such a long way to go before things like this just stop happening. Do you know if it was just one individual or if it was a group of people that disrupted the event over the weekend? Um, unfortunately, we don't know at this point in time, and I'm not able to comment on it further um, because we are um, forwarding information to the uh, proper authorities at this point in time, and they do want to do, um, we do want them to do um, proper investigation, so I'm not going to comment any further on what information we have so far. Totally understandable. If there's an investigation underway, I'm happy to know at least that much. Now, before we let you go, Megan, take us through... Uh, now, before we let you go, Megan, tell us more about the Richmond Women's Resource Center and all of the different programs and services that are offered to benefit women today and tomorrow so that we can put days like Saturday fully behind us. Yeah, for sure. Um, probably the best way to find us is either at our website. You can just Google Richmond Women's Resource Center. We pop up or on Facebook. We have a pretty active social media presence. Um, we've been in... Uh, We've been an organization since 1976, helping um, women in uh, Richmond. And right now, we've had to pivot all of our programs to online due to um, the current uh, restrictions, which has made our programming a little bit more difficult this year. But we're still managing to put on English as second language classes, Chinese support classes, English support classes. Um, we have a French speakers group. We have um, tax clinics. We have information for women about resiliency during the pandemic. We're really just about empowering and supporting women. Um, we're constantly developing our programming, program offerings and just really trying to do what we can for women. Uh, we've seen over 6,000 women use the center um, and move on to amazing things, um, whether that's through our Employment Ready program or just coming to Canada and finding friends for the first time that you feel comfortable with um, because you're in a safe space to engage and learn a language safely. So 
we we just have a multitude of things. Our board is all volunteer run. Um, it's an amazing group of women um, who really put their heart and soul into it. So. She is Megan Chambers, an appointed member of the Board of Directors for the Richmond Women's Resource Center. Megan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, John. I want to say thank you for taking the time to talk to us and uh, have a happy International Women's Day.